0: Show. Over Huan. here's the cross machine yeah. chaka takes it, and Ain't it the go Ain't no He's going going quickly show. here Nani gets in behind here's Nani with a chip it's 1-1
1: What's going on guys? Welcome back to the Lions Blog Podcast. My name is Gavin. I am your host here with my co-host Daniel, Chase, and Adam. And today, similar to the last podcast but a little bit different, we're going to be talking about the Jason Christ era as a whole. So I know last time I said we would go 2019, 2018, 2017, but instead we felt that it would be better to talk about coaching eras and just talk about, again, what went right, what went wrong, all of that. But before we get started, I want to introduce you to my co-host. Daniel, how are you doing tonight?
0: Doing okay, how are you doing?
1: Doing pretty good. Adam, how are you doing tonight?
0: Absolutely fantastic.
1: Sounds like you're having fun. And Chase, how
2: are you doing tonight? Doing good. How about you?
1: Doing pretty good. Uh, Let's get started then. And the first thing I wanted to start with was his hiring uh, and kind of our, our thought process uh, you know what was going through our minds when we saw the name Jason Christ was going to be coming down to Orlando so Daniel I'm going to start with you uh, can you can you kind of remember the, your first thoughts that came to your mind when you saw that Jason Christ was going to be our new head coach
3: yeah I'd been following Orlando only a little while actually before the hiring but I was I was fairly familiar with MLS and <clears throat> with Christ I mean I'd I'd watched him when he played and then watch bits of MLS here and there and I was quite happy with the with the signing to be honest with you because on paper he was a good coach you know he was a you know he'd recently won the MLS so he'd been at New York um, he'd gotten you know some good exposure with them kind of with a big a big club a big organization mentality so he felt that you know somebody was coming in with a little bit of authority and some new ideas uh, could get the team maybe organized a bit better and you know, I thought I thought it was a good sign and I was I was pretty happy with it at first.
0: Adam, what about you? Uh I think if I remember correctly, I was neutral to negative on it actually. Uh reason being I had uh um I had just gotten into MLS with uh with Orlando City in twenty fifteen and uh to me Jason Christ was the guy that uh Adrian Heath kinda beat in uh in twenty fifteen and then got fired by NYCFC. And I didn't really see anything special about him. Um of course after his name was being thrown about I looked him up a little bit and like, oh he won uh he won a an MLS Cup back in the day. But you know, his most recent stop before Orlando City was mostly a failure. I mean, like we finished higher than him. <laughs> And uh, anyone who finishes below Orlando City is uh, not good. Uh, so, yeah, that that's that was my initial reaction to him, to be quite honest. Like, kind of, well, we just got rid of the guy who beat him, so, so why would he be any better? And Chase,
1: what were your thoughts, initial thoughts, on the hiring of Jason Chris?
0: I thought at the time that, like,
2: he was a fairly safe hire. Like, he was someone who had a lot of experience in the MLS and like adam said his time at new york city fc wasn't necessarily uh, a time of setting the league alight and it, they they are like a club who even when they came in you felt like they had ambitions much like us and uh it's you can't always gauge how uh, how well a manager is going to do for your club based off uh, of, of an expansion team because it's just a hard job and he was still like a relatively young coach um i think he was like in his His like younger forties, and you know, obviously, he won the MLS Cup in like two thousand nine with RSL. So it was just kind of like I didn't really know. You know what I'm saying? Like he could have progressed farther in his career, and obviously, he didn't. But at the time, I was just a little bit kind of I wasn't too happy. I wasn't you know too too downtrodden by the decision. I didn't necessarily feel like it was too big of a step up for Adrian Heath, but I didn't feel like it was going to be something that would turn out as poorly as it did
1: yeah I think I was more similar to Adam and, and you Chase just like I looked at his time at NYCFC I saw that they finished below us uh and I just didn't see anything special uh, I didn't see why it was such a big deal that we had to fire Adrian Heath and at the time I didn't really know it that we kind of fired Adrian Heath in favor of Jason Christ seeing that he was available But even then, it was like, why did we get rid of this guy who's been with the club for so long, even though I had just started watching MLS in 2015? Why are we firing him and then bringing in this guy who finished below us last year with arguably a better team? I mean, he had Frank Lampard, Andrea Pirlo, and David Villa up top. And while we had Kaká and Laren and Molino, it, it it just didn't seem to make sense to me. So I would say I was more neutral on it. Excited but 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 neutral and then um he did pretty decent in mls standards in the back of the 2016 season he had five wins three draws and six losses in the remaining games um and then he really got some some backing in the transfer market as we all know oh no no that was the end of 2016 sorry i'm thinking to 2018 uh at the end of 2016 though we go into 2017 and we start off really really well uh one, two, three, f- sorry, one, two, three, four, five, six wins in our opening seven games. Uh, d- just everything seemed to be clicking. Uh, d- very close matches by one or two goals at most, but but everything seemed to be clicking. What were your guys' thoughts uh, from that, that that first run of games in 2017? And Adam, I'll start with you on this
0: one. I remember a Matt Doyle column around that time. Uh, or maybe it was a video or something, but every single Orlando City fan was absolutely furious at Matt Doyle for saying, this is a fluke. <laughs> yeah. oh, and man, man was he right. He he was right at the time, and this is absolutely one of the cases where fans were uh, blinded by the, the rose-colored goggles, glasses, whatever the term is. But... <laughs> Rose t- yeah, we, glasses. we were yeah something like that. We were getting lucky in a lot of those games. The ball was bouncing right. Laren was on a scoring hot streak. Uh, the uh, we opponents were missing shots. It, Bendick was making some crazy saves. It wasn't sustainable. And no, I would never have had have admitted it at the time. But looking back on it, that's what was happening. It was unsustainable luck.
1: I mean, that's. Very, very similar to the 2018 run as well. Just, I mean, we scraped out a win against Portland Timbers. We scraped out a win against New York Red Bulls. Scraped out a win against the Earthquakes. I mean, it it, it seemed like, and that's in the 2018 run, I mean, under Jason Christ Just, it seemed like our only wins under Jason Christ were close, close games that just went our way for some reason. I think that was one of the issues with jason christ daniel do you agree with that s- sentiment
3: <clears throat> um i do i think i think you got to give some some credit as well i mean yeah they were close games but i mean the orlando game against new york as uh, nyc the stadium opener i mean the game sometimes is is not just about how you attack it's about how you defend i think i remember them defending extremely well i mean in that particular game, uh, I can't think of many defensive performances that we've had at home that have been as strong as that one. They beat NY Red Bulls, a strong team. Uh, Philadelphia, you know, was a good a good performance at the time. Um, some of these wins, I mean, <laughs> I've always had an issue where fans cannot expect to be playing champagne football all the time and winning when you haven't got anything to, to build up, you know, to to have expected that from. And Orlando were never at a level to be to be like that in the first place so I think with the new squad and given that he had these players to gel getting six wins out of seven in the first, first part of the season was a brilliant achievement I thought given the circumstances and I'm looking at the squad now just as we as we're speaking I mean it's not a great squad you know I think give him give him a few more players and I think he would have it would obviously have been a bit better but if he'd have had 2018 squad as well you know he would have probably been able to sustain it if they'd have all, all been fit so I mean it, it all comes down to perspective at the end of the day
1: Now Chase um, where do you think this kind of went wrong like where do you think Jason Kreis's shortcomings were? Right, what do you think was part of the problem with us uh, not being successful under him?
2: Ah <sighs> I don't know, like, uh, something I've always thought about Jason Christ, and maybe you guys might disagree, is I, I never really could look at a game and tell where he was having a whole lot of strong influence. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I do think while we didn't have a fantastic squad, we did have some decent players, uh, you know, some, some people who can score goals, some people who can defend. And whenever, like, e- even when we were pulling out, like like, big victories, which were few and far between, like, it just felt like maybe it was a little bit, uh, more Yoshi Yatoon doing something well or or Kaka pulling out some nice performances, and even when we were winning, I would have to agree with with Matt doyle like i i just i didn't I didn't necessarily know how sustainable it was i I wanted to believe that it was going to be uh, a quality that we were going to play at, but I don't know i just I just never really got the vibe that we were protagonists in a lot of games and and there there certainly is something different between how we were winning. And how a team like, you know, LAFC were winning last year when they were having like dominant runs. Uh, I don't even know if you would want to call us, you know, that sort of a dominant run. But I just, I I never really felt it. Like I never felt like Jason Christ was putting his stamp on the game. And a lot of our success was down to him, personally.
0: To that point, can any of y'all tell me how, uh, I mean, we all know Jason Christ loves the diamond. But how, how does a Jason Christ team play when it's all clicking? anyone tell me what he wants to do i i, I don't have an answer to that question yeah that, that's that's I think,
2: what i was I, I think that's that's what i was thinking it's just like i don't know like i know that we we would play the diamond a lot and we didn't really have much of a consistency in our squad like i remember even tony roca like tony roca in one season would play like fullback center back and, and like an attacking mid out wide in the wings like or, or nacharino would be forced out on the right and like you know playing out wide it's not all about pace and you know he's fairly technically sound so he can handle himself out there but that that's just not setting us up for success necessarily i think
1: yeah i think that's what that's what i was gonna say to you adam is just that i think chase is spot on i think it's almost impossible to come up with a play style that uh Jason Christ was really trying to push. You know, you think of uh, James O'Connor. He really wanted a, a hard-working, defensively set-up team that that plays down the wings. Adrian Heath liked attacking football. What did Jason Christ want? I mean, Daniel, do you have an answer to that question? Because me, Chase, and Adam do not.
3: Well, no, the goal, obviously, was to was to pack the middle and to dominate possession. Uh, you get your whiff from your fullbacks, and you expect your strikers to to contribute you know to the build-up player but again look at what you've got to choose from you've got so many one-paced players in the midfield that it's like having a bunch of statues stood there Eight. I mean Kaká yeah. great player on the ball not quick Noserino very skillful not quick Will Johnson fairly quick but not skillful Higuita was probably the best all-round midfielder we had at the time Giles Barnes don't even know why he was there very quick uh, though <laughs> <laughs> go on
0: very quick and no skill
3: uh, well that, that's it i didn't think he were that quick either but again dylan powers was signed to make up numbers your tune was quality but you know your tune was signed after that run of winning games so you can't attribute the run to him you know so it's like <laughs> i don't know like it it's one thing saying what did he try to do, but it's another question to say, did he have the players at his disposal? I don't think he did, but all the same, it's a very fair point that his identity was not, uh, shown much through that season. I, I agree with that. All right. I so, w- oh, go
0: ahead, Adam. Uh, to that point, Daniel, uh, yeah, he didn't have much to choose from, but sometimes he didn't do himself many favors. If y'all recall on, uh, our mm-hmm. first, uh, pod this season um on the recap of the opener i said that uh what i really admired about pareja what he did in that opener is he didn't get cute with the lineup and that basically who we expected our best 11 available to be at the time is basically who played and a lot of the time i either yes we had injuries and suspension and stuff but there was also times when Christian Higuita was in the doghouse for whatever reason. He just couldn't find the pitch, even though Christ would play like six defensive midfielders. He was just not doing himself any favors with his lineups and, and picking guys that uh, maybe were Kreis guys, especially when he got his influence over the roster a little bit, picking, picking guys that he wanted in there rather than the guys who were performing well. So it's a two-way street there.
3: I agree, but at least under Jason Kreis, as opposed to O'Connor, at least we looked like we could score goals. I mean, that's you know, I mean, I think the in- intent there was to was to was to try and influence the game. It's just that I don't think any any coach in Orlando has had the the set of players they need to succeed. I mean, he's probably had the closest, to be honest, as far as the final third goes and in, in the midfield, but he never had the defence. Christ uh, needed players. In all areas, and O'Connor uh, needed players, didn't maybe get enough time to, to do it. So, who knows?
1: All right, now, is there anything before we push on into the 2018 season? Is there anything that you guys remember about the 2017 season? I know it was a while ago, but that was one full season under Jason Christ. Uh, and if I could start, if there was one thing that I remember, it's that Houston 4 0 loss. Uh, mm. It was on my birthday, and. <laughs> I remember being like, "Oh, maybe they'll win a game for my birthday or something." But I mean, we I, we had we had been playing pretty good at the time, but he rolled out the diamond against Houston Dynamo, who I'm looking at it right now had Romel Kyoto on the left, Albert Elise on the right, and Marimontos up the middle, and they just bombed down the wings and really hurt us on the right and left. And I was just sitting there and I was looking and I was thinking. Even I can tell that their wingers are just absolutely destroying us. Why isn't Christ doing anything about this? And he didn't do anything about it, and we lost 4-0. So, I mean, he was really, really, really stuck to that 4-1-2-1-2. He would change it up a little bit, but very rarely. And uh, that was one of the things that stuck out to me from the 2017 season. Chase, I'm going to go to you first. Do you have anything from that season that kind of sticks in your mind?
2: Um... I mean, it's it's not necessarily just about the season. It kind of bleeds into 2018, so maybe I'm just, like, disregarding your question. But I always thought that he kind of mishandled some of the – he didn't have, like, a wealth of youth talent at his disposal, but we had guys like Pierre De Silva and, you know, Richie Larea. And Richie Larea has gone on to do great things. And at the time, Pierre De Silva was, like, a U.S. youth international. And uh, he created a bit of buzz when he signed as a homegrown talent. So, like, do you think that Jason Christ is to blame – for like players not being able to kind of integrate into the squad, especially young players.
1: I mean, maybe we had Leo Pereira at the time.
2: Yeah, Leo Pereira as well, who's like now rated almost at like a value of like ten million dollars or something like that. Who just made a big move. And I, I I agree that we didn't have talent. Like it didn't look like we had talent at the time. And I know that this kind of plays into something that gets hurled at Orlando City partially unfairly from time but we did have some players that kind of maybe even did go on to find success elsewhere. Like, just do you, like, do you think he maybe mishandled some talent as well? Like I, I hear what, what Daniel was saying about uh, not being able to have players that fit into a system as like a cohesive unit, but I don't, I do think that there was still some talent in the squad, particularly, uh, you know, going forward. And like, like I said, we have some young players. So, I don't know, that's just something that I've always thought about him, that he didn't really do enough with what he had, even if he didn't have a whole lot, I guess. I don't even know necessarily, like, oh, hold on, wait, let me restart, let me restart.
1: You want to restart? Yeah, right? do you
2: guys Do you guys get what I'm trying to say, though? Like, I don't know yeah. if that makes sense. Because cause yeah. he just, he basically, it's like, like, I think that we did look like we had you know, right? So I think that we did look like we could score going forward from time, but... I think that was more down once again to just having like Kyle Laren, Kaká, players like that and then you know maybe mismanagement of other players. Like we can get into the 2018 season and talk about that like he brought in a lot of players with MLS experience and players from, you know, around different European clubs and I just think he mishandled talent basically.
1: That that's a good way of putting it. I think um his mishandling of talent is a a, a good talking point um before we go into that a little further adam did you have anything about the 2017 season first
0: i yeah dom dwyer um (laughs) always dom always dom dwyer uh it's actually not gonna bash dom right now Uh, so he got here he generated a lot of excitement you know we have the, the videos of the supporters rushing to greet him at the airport and everything was cool and uh I actually thought that he and laren uh after a bit of a rough start started to kind of work it out towards the end of the 2017 season uh particularly with uh uh Yoshi came in at the end of seventeen didn't he yeah uh, with, um i'm pretty sure
1: was it 2016
2: no it's 2017
0: no no 2017 you're right yeah he ca- he came in summer of seventeen. Um, particularly with Yoshi coming in and and starting to get acclimated to the squad, and uh, and with Kaká feeding them, uh, it it looked pretty decent as far as like this is something we could build on, and for better or for worse, I think that's what gave. Uh, the fan base some confidence in jason christ and the front office some confidence in jason christ like we all saw the lineups he was putting out in 2017 it was pretty sorry a lot of the time and i think we thought man if we could just get this guy some backing you know maybe there could be something of course we didn't foresee the laren transfer saga and and of course Kaka retired and and there's lots of stuff that happened but um yeah, it kind of, I think 17 definitely set the groundwork for the roller coaster into train wreck of a season. That was 2018.
1: Well, yeah, let's kind of talk about 2018 and let's talk about Chase's point of mishandling of talent. We brought in a lot, a lot of talent going into 2018 Mohamed El Muniram, Rotarek, Lamine Sane, uh, Justin Miram, Chris Mueller in the draft. Um, so many names Stefano Pino, uh t- who else am i missing i know i'm missing more it just seemed like we were br- we brought in so many people to refresh the squad uh daniel i want to go to you first do you think it was too many players to kind of bring into the squad and then after that do you think the mishandling of town is a valid point
3: um well just going back to your other point about 2017 uh, we managed to get two ties against Atlanta that season, which I thought was pretty good. Uh, the game that stood out was the free-free away to Atlanta that we got. Um, Dwyer got two goals and Larry got one. Martinez, as usual, scored. He got a hat-trick. But um, there was like little hints there of, you know, of the you know, what the what the attackers were capable of. I mean, Adam's point about Dwyer and Larry just starting to work it out at the end. Well, that's a good game, you know, to cite as an example for that. Um, Obviously, you wonder what what if, if Lowry had been able to stay another year and he would have gotten the money he wanted the next season, we might not have signed Merrim, we might not have signed uh, Pino, we might have had a better attack, you know, from the beginning of the 2018 season, so it all kind of bleeds in together, as as Chase said. Um, As far as 2018 goes, I think that the players on paper were good, but they just weren't the right type. I think we needed a couple more options uh, to be able to change the system a little bit more. Because again, we're still overloaded with central midfielders, many of whom have only got one speed. So on paper, Russell and such question, even for the money we, we have for both of them, good players on paper, but they were too similar in stature for me. And we maybe needed more legs in the midfield, a bit more grit, players that can maybe play wide, You know, to combat those attacks down the flanks in those away games, like you mentioned before. And, um, again, good players on paper, but just not the right types for me.
0: Ever since Chase brought up that point about having youth talent and then just, Christ, never doing anything with it, I'm looking at the 18 squad and man did youth talent just absolutely die under jason christ uh so let's let's read off some names here uh richie Lorea tony rocha jose Coman, pierre de silva cam lindley uh I, it's kind of insane uh, chris mueller kind of started off hot and then stalled out under him and, and he's managed to revive his career a little bit but i think he lost a good year year and a half of development uh, also, Leo Pereira He said, it's insane the amount of youth talent that we have. And that's just um, the 18 roster plus Pereira. There's obviously the 16, 17 rosters too. Uh, it's amazing the amount of youth talent that we had that just never saw the field under Jason Christ
1: I mean, even Higuita was pretty young at that time, no?
0: Yeah, Higuita. I mean, Higuita's still young. But, yeah, Higuita just stalled out. Because Kreis wouldn't play him half the time.
1: He he definitely had his favorites.
0: Was
2: okay. Twenty eighteen OCB wasn't playing, but in twenty seventeen OCB was still playing. Like in that yeah. year, and I, I don't really. I don't. I can't think of any player that's really succeeded uh, going down to USL or, or coming up and being bled into the squad, other than now, like maybe like Jordan Bender or someone like that. But it's also just kind of another thing to look at that. Even though he had a USL team at his disposal, not a lot of players were able to have a clear pathway to the first team. Something that I'm a little disappointed hey. about.
0: You take a guy like Pierre de Silva who absolutely tore up USL. Mm. Like he was, he was scoring and assisting pretty much every week for OCB, and he never got a fair shake at the first team. Uh, what the hell is OCB for?
1: <laughs> to be fair, our, our handling of OCB and Development Academy and everything well I was going to say everything below the first team but the first team too has been horrible in our five years in MLS but especially in OCB and USL play and Development Academy so there is a fair point that OCB has been worthless to us so far other than just throwing some talent who we think might be good down there but then you know never using them but at the beginning of 2018 we go in and we play a couple games and we lose and tie we had a tie and two losses and then we go on the infamous six game winning run similar to the six wins in seven games in 2017 early on in the season we start off uh with pretty much a hot streak um And then it kind of disappears. I was at the Atlanta United game, the 2-1 loss, and uh, we didn't have Yotun because he was on international duty, I think. And then we didn't have Spectre due to injury, and everything just kind of went downhill from there. Uh, What were your Uh, thoughts on us losing the winning streak and then just never picking it back up? Adam, go ahead. Uh,
0: Just a quick uh, housekeeping note Yotun did play in that game I'm looking at the box score He got a yellow card in the 82nd minute
1: Mm, Okay I thought he was on international duty Maybe that's later down in the season I do remember
0: we were missing like four starters Yeah, I I was at that game too That was fun fact I had to break up a fight outside the stadium after that game
1: Between Uh, Orlando City sports.
0: Orlando and Atlanta supporters
1: Mm, Of course Anyways, Adam, uh, what do you think of us kind of losing that losing, losing the winning streak, and just never really bouncing back? What do you think we can attribute that to?
0: That was a painful game against Atlanta. I again, much like the the 17 streak, it was it was a little bit fluky. Was, we didn't really dominate any games. I don't remember. It was it was yeah, it looks like a bunch of close games. I remember the the Red Bulls game. Um, I feel like that was that was a game that they were in CCL and they were basically playing their B team and we eked out a win against them. Um, it, it was a bunch of games that we were lucky to win and the luck ran out against Atlanta United as it was wont to do. I remember I was so excited going to the Atlanta game and I left so freaking disappointed. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: As as it happens, and uh, I, I, going back to Chase's point, Chase made a, ro- a lot of really good points uh, this episode. I have to say, about not being able to see Crisis like imprint on the team. I just never is a a little bit of a tangent, but y'all remember him whining in the media about the refs. And it wasn't like when Adrian Heath would talk about the refs, like saying the refs have to do a better job and they have to shape up because it's unacceptable. It like when something particularly bad happened, it w- it almost got weekly where Jason Kreiss was just whining about the refs. And, you know, you want your coach to stand up for the team, but at a certain point it gets old. And I feel like Kreiss played the victim in – when we started losing a lot of games and sure there were a lot of bad decisions by pro that that's what they do but you can't let that get in your head you have to win in spite of them and I think that and I'm not obviously not blaming <laughs> the, ju- the refs for the entirety of the Christ era uh, but I think that Christ liked to find excuses for things that didn't go his way and play victim to them and he didn't imprint himself on the team and the situation he let the situation imprint itself on him. Um, I guess a more concise way of saying that was that he was very passive in my opinion and that's why once things started not going our way, they kind of spiraled out and that's why I think also he was able to go on those winning streaks because when something was going right he just kind of let it happen and and so there was uh, not a lot of inertia there it was just Kind of things could flow whichever the way they wanted to flow.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, I personally do think that the, again, I'm not blaming the refs similar to you are, but I think the distrust of the referees came a lot in that Atlanta game, obviously with how poor it was refereed. And then it just seemed like the the, uh, the chemistry in the squad wasn't there uh as we saw loss after loss after loss. Um, and then, like, we, we had the whole Miram situation, and we'll talk about that next, I guess. But
0: was what, it Miram O'Connor?
1: Hmm? No, Miram was Jason
0: Christ Miram wasn't on the 2018
2: team. Yeah, he was. He was brought in with Yuri Roussel and all of them.
0: Well,
3: he yeah. scored in the Yeah, this, yeah he, he scored, scored
2: in the, in the game. In the game, game. That we lost to Orlando. This is the game where he, like, put his fingers in his ears and was like... You know, caused yeah,
0: you're
3: Disappointed
0: years. with he scored. I could have scored.
1: His only good game for Orlando City was the first game of the twenty eighteen season against DC United.
0: Yeah, took on a few. Oh, oh yeah. All right, glad I we got board.
1: I guess we can kind of talk about that now. <laughs> that was bad.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: D- Daniel, how big of an effect do you think the Miram situation had on the team? Uh, in terms of chemistry in terms of trust in coaching staff because that's a that's a big deal uh and just it, dude, if the players don't like the coaching staff's decision on certain things uh, then they can kind of lose faith in the coach and just not play as well how big of an impact do you think the mirror situation had on the team
3: I think um well, obviously, there was things going on behind the scenes with Merron, which kind of came to light in the Atlanta well in the Atlanta game onwards. So that's an entire rabbit hole in itself, uh, one that's been visited many times already. Yep. I think the that season, the Atlanta game is what broke the players mentally. I mean, they won two more games that season after that, and that was you know tragic in itself. Uh, going back to the points about the referees you know, that was probably one game where you could say, yeah, the referees screwed us. I mean, there was a ton of other victims, so-called victims in the stadium that threw stuff onto the field and booed the referees, so I think most people could see what was going on, and I feel that MLS does kind of try to position those big markets sometimes to win, and I think that was one of those games. Uh, But yeah, the the losing streak that came after that, I mean, those players were mentally broken, and that's where you look to your coach, uh, to get them together and to to get them to think straight and you need your captains to step up and and say a few words and maybe deliver a couple of home truths. I I think the environment was was toxic in itself and I think once that happened, I think Christ was overwhelmed with it and I think our players became overwhelmed. Uh, For all the decent players we have on paper, there was not a natural leader in that that group, Uh, certainly not one that will get in somebody's faces and, and say what needs to be said. And as for the Justin Merrim situation, um, I mean, the celebration he had against Atlanta, I mean, he has his reasons for feeling the way he does. Uh, That's a whole other debate. I'm not even gonna bother starting that one again. But um, all in all, it obviously was not good. I think he probably had friends in that squad that sided with him and people that probably were against him and that in itself is a bad recipe for team chemistry.
1: No, I like that point, but first thing I want to say is what you said beforehand about uh, us needing a leader in our in our coach. I think that leads perfectly from what Adam was saying about Jason Christ mm-hmm. being passive and not being that leader. I,
3: I agree with that. I completely agree. I, I, I've never been a disciple of the Let's Blame Christ club, which is very prevalent, as you know. Um, I'm never a disciple of that club because I think that Orlando City, as an environment, is not set up for success. I don't think you could get many coaches that could, that could succeed, you know, with the group of players that has been there recently. And the Oscar Pereira ring is only two games old, so we can't really judge that one yet, one way or the other. So, all in all, as much as I thought Christ was okay, I mean, yeah, he, he certainly was not. Oh, he didn't appear to be, he didn't appear to be a, a natural uh, leader type. You know, he, he's typically archetypally a coach. Maybe at that time, in that crisis, we need a manager, and that's someone that picks things up and, you know, he, he sets the tone, not the players. And I think that's maybe where this all went wrong, to be honest with you.
1: All right. Now, I like your point about some players sided with, probably sided with Miram, and probably sided against Miram. Chase, do you think, uh, and we have heard before, that we our squad was pretty uh, clicky uh, in those times. Uh, just a lot of small groups, uh, you know, they didn't really gel together very well. Chase, do you think that was also a, uh, a part of Jason Kreiss' downturn near the end of his time with Orlando City?
2: Yeah, definitely. I, I think personally I, i've talked about it a few times i think man management at times can be like more crucial to a manager's success at a club than than almost anything like i, I think if you look at it like a broader issue like even though pep guardiola is such a fantastic like soccer football mind whatever you want to say he does a good job of getting his players to like him essentially and at the same time respect him and protect them in the media and things like that and if you look at like maybe like Jose Mourinho now like he's struggling a little bit wherever he goes and I don't think it's necessarily from a lack of understanding the game and and having these great ideas it's just if you can't get your players to buy in and to kind of come together as a group there's it doesn't really matter how great of a manager you are and I I think that coming into this situation at times um it could be maybe a little bit toxic not um not not even really just talking about like um like just like the Justin Marum thing as a whole, but just kind of everything. Like you said, it was an entirely uh, kind of divided squad with some people who had uh, maybe some big egos and things like that. And we're a place that even though we are struggling, we have like high ambitions. And I don't think Jason Christ is a man that can kind of come in and adapt and get the players to buy into his philosophies or lack thereof. And... Um, kind of maybe even change the culture a little bit at the club which I think is the type of manager that we need right now and I don't think you know Jason Christ and I know we talked about James O'Connor last time I don't think any of them were really someone that like like it is a tough job if you're gonna come here to this club and you're going to help us find success and I don't think Jason Christ has ever struck me as a manager that that could have succeeded here personally even though he did have some some high moments it was just I don't know. I didn't think he was ever going to come out too well, personally.
1: All right, and now I'm going to start this one with you, Adam, but I want to get everybody's thoughts on it. Do you think we were right to fire Jason Christ when we did? Uh, we had a six-game losing streak in the MLS, uh, and they were Atlanta United, Toronto, Chicago Fire, NYCFC, Vancouver, and Montreal Impact, and those last three were pretty bad a 3-0 loss to NYCFC, a 5-2 loss to Vancouver, and a 3-0 loss to Montreal Impact. Um, Adam, do you think we were right to fire him at that point in time?
0: I don't think that I have a strong conviction on this answer because I think that strong arguments could be made for either way. Um... As far as the business decision goes, I think it was a smart-ish PR decision after that losing streak. Uh, obviously, we weren't going to make the playoffs, and the season just wasn't going well, and sometimes you need a scapegoat just so people don't cancel season tickets and people will still show up from time to time. Sometimes you need to do that. I think that... I don't think that I ever really thought... I mean, maybe during the winning streaks, but Hope was quickly killed after those. I don't think there was a a prolonged period of time during Kreis' tenure with Orlando City where I thought he was going to be the guy to to take us to the Cup. I, I don't think he ever struck me as that. And so I think eventually we need to fire him. Uh, mid-season versus the end of the season, I think the pros for waiting until the end of the season would be, A, you give him all the chance that you can give him, and maybe he could have turned things around. Who knows? But that's a hypothetical. But a more concrete thing is you allow yourself to go through a more thorough and complete hiring process that's not rushed at all if you do in the off season, And as we saw um, this past time around, hopefully we get a really good one, Pereha, who's a very, very respected coach, but that took a few weeks, i think month uh, over a month, even they did their due diligence, and they took their time and they made all the calls they wanted to make, and they kind of robbed themselves of that opportunity with christ um, and firing him and then a few weeks later, hiring James o'Connor mid season and so I don't know if O'Connor still would have got the job. He might have been the higher in the off season, but at least we would have been able to do a better job of doing due diligence had we waited till the end of the season. That being said, the overall record I think was closish to 500 at the time his firing, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, we had like that winning streak and then we had the losing streak. And they kind of balance each other out to where we were actually kind of mid-table, but like no one had any hope of it getting better.
2: Yeah, we were on the playoffs. An interesting...
0: Just about we were, yeah. yeah. So I, we're, we were in like seventh place or something. Um, so what if Kreiss had gone win-loss, 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 win-loss? He almost certainly probably would not have been fired. Uh, so I think that's an interesting question there.
1: Do you think part of the reason he got fired is because he lost the dressing room?
0: I, that has to be a part of it, right? Uh, right.
1: Yeah, but uh, do you think that might have been the final reason?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'll say this about clicks: every we have to remember that these are adult, individual people with their own personalities, friends, motives, lives. Uh, uh, anything that happens to you or me or anyone is happening to those people, just in their lives. And they're allowed to have friends. They're allowed to like certain people and maybe not like especially like others, but you still have to be civil enough to be professional and do the job with them. Uh, So having clicks in and of itself is not necessarily a bad thing. They're just going to happen when you get groups of more than like four or five people together. Uh, The thing that you need to do is you need to make sure that those clicks don't interfere with the job you're trying to do. And I think when... Uh, Tao saw that those clicks and and the Miriam situation were really interfering with the job he was trying to do, then uh, that just gave him one more reason to let him go midseason.
1: Daniel, what are your thoughts? Do you think Jason Christ deserved to be fired when he did?
3: You know, there's arguments both ways. I mean, you know, as uh, Chase said, I think we were in the last playoff spot when he was fired, and they seldom... Gotten higher than that since, um, so you could argue in his favour that yeah he had us in the playoffs. First half of the season he didn't always have his fully fit group of players. Yeah, I think he was ever able to put out his best team. That's one other argument in his favour. Uh, with the clicks, I mean it depends on who the problem players are, and we know that Justin Murren was clearly, you know, a factor in that. There are other players. Um, I'm more annoyed as a supporter that. Players allow their own personal agendas and their cliques to get in the way of their professionalism and their ability to do their job effectively. Um, I always hear in any sport, whether it's um, or any team, Orlando or otherwise, when the players end up getting the coach fired, because I guess annoyed at the players they get protected, you know, uh, without any real, I guess any defense, yeah. any any real cause, you know, it's just like they get protected whatever is done. So. Uh, It's vindicated through the rest of the season that the players are also not up to it. In which case, do you give Christ the whole season then go through a a good, stringent recruitment drive in the off-season like they did this past year? I think they should have done, in hindsight. Yes, they should have uh, given him the whole season. Why not? We only won two games after that. And with O'Connor coming in and obviously limited resources to improve the team, I'm not quite sure what they expected was going to happen.
1: They... Surely they just expected us to lose and lose and lose.
3: Yeah, but that's just negligent. I mean, I remember being at the Seattle game at the end of that season, and I'm not joking. There was like six or seven thousand people there. <laughs> I was able, to, I was able to move around in my section of the stadium. I, I had some friends' seats, and I'm not joking. I was almost the only person in that section.
1: Because well, nobody cared.
3: Exactly, and if you're an owner of a football club and you're allowing that to to just happen you're just allowing yourself to lose I guess that's what happens when you don't have a promotion relegation structure because you've no incentive to, to even play for pride you're just going through the motions waiting until October the 4th or whatever it is so you can get your extra month off and then you're going to go back in the end of February and start the new season I, I'm, I'm sorry but that the players pissed me off more than the coach at that point um, give, give every manager the season especially in this type of league give them till the end and then go through your one or two-month hiring process, get the right guy in, and start again, and give everybody a clean slate, because that's what they deserve to get.
1: Well, we saw a couple players jump ship, if we remember. Amrith Tarek left very quickly the next season. Uh, Stefano mm-hmm. Pino was gone. Uh, Chris Shuler was gone. Uh, Donny Toya had left. Uh, who else was gone? Specter left. Uh, mm-hmm. Gosh, who else? Obviously, Miram left. Uh RJ Allen was gone, Bendik gone, uh, although he didn't really have a great season anyway. Rocha gone. I mean, we lost so many players. I mean, we gutted the
3: squad. Mm-hmm. And well, you look at you look at the departures. I mean, Rocha left and became a, a decent player at NYC. You know, he got a good amount of games. He's, he got some good reviews from them. Donnie Toy is Larry. part of
1: a very good defense
3: at RSL. Exactly, Richie Larea converted into a, a right wing-back. Uh, could never get minutes under Christ, couldn't get minutes under O'Connor. I mean, you know, a lot of our coaches are given up on, on good players, but the fact that these players are able to go somewhere else and start to thrive indicates, in my opinion, that you have a cultural problem at the club they were at before. And that doesn't always just rest on the coach. Not when you've got the man, the man, the CEO picking... You know, picking the signings and picking the players—the whole thing—is an indicator of a, of the a structure of a structural issue, not just a coaching issue, in my opinion.
1: All right, now Chase, what are your thoughts on should uh, Jason Christ have been fired?
2: Honestly, I think Daniel just put it very well. Uh, I also think that you know, if you're going to fire Jason Christ. Um, You need to have a manager who is of a significantly higher quality to come in, in my personal opinion. Because it it did just kind of feel like a rushed hire, you know, despite James O'Connor being very successful at the USL level. Um, That's not someone that's going to really instill a lot of excitement and, you know, bring a bolt of energy to the squad. Uh, You know, there are times like, you know, Guillermo Bello show oh my gosh butchered that pronunciation, but you know, like people like that, we're looking, we're looking for, um, for, for jobs. And you know, he came to the MLS and if we were going to bring someone like that in who had success at a, you know, a South American, European league, whatever, um, I would be all for it. But I just think if you're going to just fire Jason Christ, just to bring in someone who is of similar to even lesser quality, there's just no point, you know what I'm saying? And it kind of go back goes back to what Daniel just said, and what I kind of said a little bit earlier, where they're not someone who like like you can just tell like they're not they don't have the type of personality, they don't have the type of kind of history in the game and kind of a lore that's gonna just come in and write the ship at a club, which you know realistically, and it, it hurts to say, but like we are just kind of struggling constantly all the time, no matter what, like even if we're looking like we're moving in the right direction, whether it be trying to set up. Uh, you know, a quality youth setup with OCB or or bring a lot of players into the squad and spend some money, it doesn't really ever work out and just James O'Connor, even though at times I was pretty pretty high on him and, and I liked him as a manager, that's just it's 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 pointless, I feel like you might as well just wait. And if James O'Connor if they decided that he was the guy that they were gonna bring in, then then so be it. But you might as well just wait and then have the entire offseason to bring in a manager that you can make sure has a clear plan for the squad and you know is going to be able to work with the players and the oh sorry about that are gonna be able to work with the the players in the front office and um, you know maybe actually bring us some success as opposed to just bringing in such a rushed hire whose highest level of coaching was you know coaching with USL well do you didn't
1: we didn't James O'Connor reject our job offer at first
2: um i do not know it's a good question
3: yeah i believe that's true really i believe we
1: offered him the job and he said no and then he came back and was like yeah i'll take it i mean nobody wanted the job i believe (laughs) i've heard that it was a very low amount of candidates and none of them were particularly realistic candidates for Mm -hmm. the level we're at. So, when you say it feels like a rushed hire, it was a rushed hire. They didn't do their homework before firing him. Maybe him and... I can't even remember who fired him. Tao, maybe. Uh, Maybe him and Tao had an argument, and he said, you know what, we're done. Or maybe... I don't know, it just seemed there was no research done they just said we'll fire him and then we'll we'll deal with whoever comes in
2: that's the thing with um the mls i feel like especially a club like us where we can only kind of go off what we see on the field and then kind of make assumptions about what's going on behind the scenes like we don't necessarily know uh for sure everything like like what his relationship was with the tau and all of the players i mean sometimes it is obvious to us on the field but it's just hard it's a lot of uh conjecture maybe you know what I'm saying there's not there isn't like a, a big media yeah presence.
1: it's not like um, it's not like yeah I see exactly what you're saying I was thinking about that the other day how it's not like with Arsenal you know you get every single little detail of what's going on behind the scenes because there are people who get paid lots of money to write about it uh, and, and bring you that news and the club are willing to kind of leak some of that news but in MLS it is very tight very shut up shop no nobody really releases anything unless it's Julia Poe telling us something that we knew uh two weeks earlier that Yuri rosell was injured for the first two games of the season like everybody knew that it didn't make sense if he wasn't why was he not on the bench you know
2: mm-hmm. like even with like Daniel so Costa like we have no idea what happened to him and we will never know what happened to him just because there's there's just kind of a lack of information about that type of stuff
1: yeah people ask he's is he injured? no he's not injured well why isn't he on the bench why isn't he playing why isn't he even getting minutes in the u.s open cup we don't know <laughs> like was there an argument what like what is going on there i i don't know i think that's a that's another good point but i think that just about wraps it up daniel adam do you have any other points you want to add about jason Christs era
3: no not for me i'm good
0: yeah it I think when it's all said and done, it will, uh, along with the O'Connor year, which you can all honestly tack on to the Kreiss era a little bit, partially because of that midseason firing, O'Connor never got full support because they're busy gutting the squad from the Kreiss the, the era. I think the Kreiss plus O'Connor era is hopefully when it's all said and done and we're looking back on the first 30 years of Orlando City and MLS – will be a largely forgettable era yeah and there'll be the stadium opening but i honestly think that'll be the single highlight that we remember pretty much like forever
2: yeah yeah that's what i i agree with that like it almost just all kind of feels like it blends together a little bit like i had to do a significant amount of research what i could to kind of you know remember i guess things about this crisis just because it all seems like a a, a lot of uninspiring time that just, you know, like I said, just blends together, man.
0: Yeah, I remember more about the Heath era and that was before the Christ era. Yeah,
2: that's a lot about, like, excitement. I have very
0: clear memories from the Heath era and all the Christ just kind of blends together.
1: It's the winning runs and then the losing runs. That's all that really sticks in the memory. It's not specific games. Maybe the the 3-2 comeback against the Timbers with the Dwyer slip. Maybe those extremely amazing moments but it's just moments it's not play styles it's not great 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 things um i think that's i think that's a good point it's just it's not really a memorable era and really it's one that i think we'd all like to forget um hopefully we're heading in the right direction i do like the point that james o'connor and jason christ weren't really given the backing to uh, improve the squad. I mean, Adrian Heath hasn't really been given the backing either. We can only hope that Oscar Perea is our first coach to ever get the backing to build the squad he wants. With that, I will leave it, though. And um, Daniel, where can our listeners find you at? Uh,
3: Bucketman1982 on Twitter and uh, ellenroadrates two on
2: Instagram.
1: Chase, where can our listeners find you
2: at? You can find me at O C S C on Twitter
1: and Adam where can our listeners find you at?
0: You can find me at Kosher Taco Truck on Twitter and at my restaurant Cappy's.
1: All right. Uh, thanks for joining me on this conversation and I'll talk to you guys soon.
0: Won't
2: you follow me? On the, the, to play! The, he the He's the... Here's the
0: It's, it's the trick! It's the no trick! It's the trick! It's the trick! It's 1-1! the It's